if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two underway now. Nine minutes past an o'clock. Thanks for joining us on this uh, Thursday, the sixth morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord, 2021. Don't forget, Bill O'Reilly joins us in about a half an hour talking about his latest in the Killing series, Killing the Mafia. I'm very interested in that, and I think you're going to enjoy the conversation coming up as well. But for now, it is the regular Thursday time slot of Dr. Everett Piper. Dr. Piper is a best-selling author. His uh, bestseller was... Um, uh, not a daycare from uh, back in 2015 or was it 16? Uh, his newest is Grow Up and it is killing it on Amazon as well. Grow Up. Life isn't safe, but it's good. Dr. Piper is also a columnist for the Washington Times and a past president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. Doctor, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great, Bob. Thanks for having me on. Still burning up the Amazon charts with Grow Up? It's still doing well. I hit number one in the new release category. I'd still like to hit number one bestseller in its category. Um, but I need a lot of your folks to go out and buy the book for that to happen. So enough said, right? Absolutely. And I want people to do exactly that. Although I will say you make me mad every time I pick up and look at the cover of that book because it makes me hungry for ice cream. And I don't like seeing that <laughs> spilled ice cream on the front of the book either. <laughs> Dr. Piper, a <laughs> lot of work, a lot of work to get into here. Um, Democrats in Oklahoma are racist. You wrote this and summarized it. I mean, look, there is just no other way to look at this. Democrats in your home state of Oklahoma are racists, and they proved it by voting against a bill that would say nobody can promote one race over another. I mean, that is about as simple as it gets. A bill that says you cannot promote or teach or whatever uh, that one race is superior to another race, that all races are created equal. And if you vote against that, you are saying, I believe in racism. And that's what Democrats did with House Bill 1775. Tell us more, please. Uh, exactly. Um, I hardly need to say more. Just drop the mic and move on. But the bottom line is this. There's a House bill, HB 1775, in the state of Oklahoma. It received a vote of 77 in favor and 18 against. 77 yeas, 18 nays. All 18 are Democrats. Okay? Now, it has yet to be signed. Our governor needs to sign this. Rumor is, is that he is being encouraged. Well, it's not a rumor. He is being encouraged to veto it. And you know who's encouraging him? 
the purple rhinos, and there are many, and those who claim to be for civil rights and racial justice. Now, this bill explicitly says, and I'm quoting, you cannot teach no teacher in the state of Oklahoma that's funded by tax dollars, whether it be elementary, secondary, or higher education, can teach, propagate, promote racism. You cannot teach in a state-funded school that one race is inferior to another race. It says that. That's what it says. Okay? It also says you cannot um, uh, instill psychological distress in the mind of a student because of his or her race or sex. So you can't shame or shun or make a student feel guilty because they're black, because they're Hispanic, because they're Asian, or because they're native, or because they're white. You can't ah, do that. Ah, which of these things is not like the other? Only one of those is the majority. And they don't oh. care. Your Democrat friends there in Oklahoma don't care if white kids are shamed or made to feel less than. They don't count because they're the majority. Absolutely. So what you have is the Democrats and the purple rhinos are nervous about this. And they're actually saying there's a gentleman in Tulsa who has written a letter to the governor pleading with him to veto this bill because he says that it will prohibit teachers from teaching the facts of United States history, of American history, such as the Trail of Tears, such as the March for Civil Rights and Women's Suffrage, such as the Tulsa riot the race riots in Tulsa. Well, that's baloney. That's nonsense. You can teach about those things and tell your students why they were bad and why our constitutional republic allowed us to move beyond those things and improve as a people, as a nation, because we're exceptional and we're not average as a nation. Our constitution gave us the platform to actually rise above all that nonsense, all that garbage. You can teach that as a teacher. What it tells you you can't teach is that you can shame a student today, because of the color of his skin, because these bad things happened back in the late 1800s or the early 1900s or the 1950s. Right. That's what it says. So they're actually arguing right now, the left is arguing that somehow this prohibits challenging ideas. Well, of all the people you have on your show that's in favor of challenging ideas, of creating cognitive dissonance in the mind of the student so that he or she can grow up, I'm that person. And I'm speaking out in favor of HB 1775 because no one who's paid by our tax dollars should be propagating and inculcating racism in the minds of our sons and daughters. Well, what's really sad is the ignorance of those who oppose uh, this by saying they can't teach that history. That history literally would explain why this is the law of the land today. Because do you see how these people were treated as less than? See how this race was treated as inferior? Whether it be the Trail of Tears, whether it be any things you talk about. Um, look at the terrible results of that. This is why today we know everyone is equal and everyone shall be treated as such. Nobody shall ever be treated as being inferior again here is why look at the examples of what happened when it was done before so this would actually encourage the 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 teaching and the education of american history of oklahoma history and so on and so forth it wouldn't stop it would actually amplify it and say this is why we do not practice racism any longer um but they don't get it they're they're too ignorant absolutely um and and also I was going to say what this bill does is it tells us we need to honor the dream of Martin Luther King Jr. and teach our students to judge people by the by their character and not by their color. 
and as you well know, 1619 Project, critical race theory, and all the garbage uh, that's going on in our culture and is being promoted by the Biden administration into our school system is teaching the opposite. It's teaching our students to look at the color of a person's skin and judge them accordingly rather than judging people by their character. Yeah, but specifically and deliberately. I mean, the critical race theory and the 1619 Project deliberately erase Martin Luther King. Uh, it's the exact opposite of what the Civil Rights Act called for. Uh, let's let's move on to a, a topic number two, but it's in the same realm because it's about division. What you just described is division in Oklahoma. And by the way, I don't want anybody to think that that's limited to uh, Oklahoma. This is the this is what Democrats in 50 states believe that absolutely you should be able to teach that the white race is inferior and should be shamed now that the only way to uh, uh, the only person or people that should be uh, should be uh, saved if you will from such criticisms are minorities ethnic and racial minorities so it's about division there it's about division all over this country now let's go to Sunny Hostin or Hostin I don't know how to pronounce her last name because she's not important in my life I don't care but she is on the view Dr. Piper and the women on the view and in particular in this case Sunny Hostin or Hostin uh, declared that the great unwashed of our society, otherwise known as the unvaccinated, should be shunned by regular society. They should be shunned. They should be kind of pushed into a corner somewhere where they can just bathe in each other's germs, but keep them away from the rest of decent vaccinated society. Once again, division, division, division. Go ahead. All right. Now, some people might dismiss this because they'll say, well, who cares about the view? Well, we should care about the view because this is a conversation i hate that word today but this is a conversation that's being led by the left by the progressives the view representing the left and the progressive mind and they're actually going out there and telling millions and millions of viewers right now that if you haven't been vaccinated you should be and this is her language shunned and then she goes on to explain what she means by that and she explicitly says that that means you should not be able to go shopping well what does that mean Can I not buy food? How am I going to get my groceries? How am I going to survive if I can't go shopping? They're actually calling for some sort of identification that proves you've been vaccinated for you to go about your daily life. And if that doesn't scare the heck out of everybody, it should, because this is way too much government control over your life that you have to prove. You have to prove yourself worthy of going into a grocery store and buying food she actually called for that dr piper how could we go in a span of 14 months in a free country an exceptional country the greatest country in the history of human civilization from just work with us people for two weeks while we flatten the curve to you must show your papers How did we go from flatten the curve to show your papers in the span of 14 months in a free country? I'm going to answer the way I've answered a thousand times on your show over the last year or so, Bob, and that is bad ideas, bad results. And our colleges, our universities, our high schools, our elementary schools have been teaching these terrible ideas for decades. This is not new. The reason millennials want to stay locked down. They want to stay in lockdown. They're afraid to go back out into normal 
society without a mask and without being vaccinated, and even when they have the mask, they're still frightened right now. The reason you've got 30-year-olds and 35-year-olds and younger frightened right now is because of what we've been teaching in our schools. Ideas have consequences. Richard Weaver, 1948. Hitler, let me control the textbooks and I will control the state. When you teach terrible ideas, you have terrible results. People need to attend to education. And that's why this House Bill 1775 is so critical. If we continue to double down on lunacy, then we will get lunatics running the asylum. And that's what you're seeing right now in our culture. Yeah, that is exactly right. And you have said that many times before, and it's apropos each and every time that you do. 1020, we'll get a time out here, and uh, we'll come back. I've got two more subjects to talk about with Dr. Everett Piper. Dr. Piper is going to speak to maybe the most famous trans person in America or the world. Former Olympic champion Bruce Jenner says he's Caitlyn Jenner. That's troubling. But Bruce Jenner says that males have no business going into female sports which we agree upon. So what do we do with this? We'll talk about that with Dr. Piper and more coming up on AM 1420 The Answer. Okay, 1024, let's continue now with Dr. Everett Piper. Um, yeah, uh, dude is is indeed dressed like a lady. That's that's the reality of Bruce Jenner's world. He is still a biological male. He has not done any transition surgeries or anything of that nature. He is a dude. Uh, he prefers to be called Caitlyn, and he does dress like a female. Dr. Piper, maybe the most famous trans person in the world, uh, Bruce Jenner is now uh, slash Caitlyn Jenner running for governor of the state of California. I didn't talk, want to talk about the politics of that. I kind of wanted to just talk more about the fact that as an Olympic athlete, he's got room to speak here from, you know, the competitiveness of men's and female sports, men's and women's sports. You and I have talked about the need to protect girls' sports and women's sports. So he knows a lot about it from the athletic side. He also knows a lot about this issue from the trans side, since that's what he is. Uh, how do you feel about his declarative statement last week? in which he said, no way should biological males be allowed to compete with biological females. It is completely bucks the narrative of the trans movement that says they ought to be allowed. Well, my wife, when she heard this story, came out and looked at me and she said, the world is upside down. Everything's crazy. Bruce Jenner is now speaking against <laughs> biological men competing in female sports. He's actually taking the right position. Yeah. Oh, the world is upside down. When Bruce Jenner i.e. Caitlyn Jenner, becomes our spokesperson for defending female sports, uh, it just causes your head to spin. <laughs> but here's the issue, and you know what I'm going to say right now. Uh, how do we wrestle with this as Christians? Um, you know, I know you said you don't want to get into the politics of Jenner running for governor, but, okay, you got Gavin Newsom and Bruce Jenner. What do we do? And I, I think there's an issue of normalcy here. And I know a lot of people, even in the conservative world, get uncomfortable when we start talking about normalcy. But that's a word that means something. I would argue that Donald Trump's sins, and they are many, are within the realm of normalcy. They're within the box of sins that all of us wrestle with. All normal people wrestle with arrogance and anger and self-congratulation. And Donald Trump is 
a person who's guilty of those sins in spades at times. But they're normal. But when we make the abnormal normal, which we would do if we start embracing Bruce Jenner, I think we've jumped the shark. We're in a different world here that I think is in the world of the what we used to feel comfortable calling an abomination. In fact, we know that God identifies certain sins as being more egregious than other sins. He calls some an abomination, and he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah for those abominations. We're not told that he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah for their arrogance or for their rudeness or for the normal sins. Those sins will send you to hell, yes, but they didn't get Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed. I disagree with the body of Christ, the Church, when it starts talking about all sins being equal. I don't think they are. I don't think the Bible teaches that. And we need to preserve and guard normalcy, or we're not going to have a culture and a country that enjoys normal living and normal livelihood and normal humanity and normal freedoms. So I think that's the bigger issue here. I was not going to do this. I was going to stick with the sports angle and not do the politics of it. But since you went there, let's 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 take that head on. I don't disagree with your point about normalcy. But if you have uh, if you're in California and you're not neither am I, thank God I don't have to vote here. But if you have to choose between somebody who is going to continue to destroy a state, you know, like a Gavin Newsom is going to continue to argue against First Amendment rights, Second Amendment rights, for goodness sakes, uh, the, the liberty and the freedom of people to worship in the state of California, all of the different things that have gotten Gavin Newsom recalled in this recall election, or somebody who's going to sign bills that defend our Second Amendment rights, somebody who's going to uh, eliminate the sanctuary state, uh, allow federal agents to actually uh, operate and take illegal uh, criminals uh, out of state, uh, and, and so on, open up the, the, the uh, churches and open up the businesses. But that person is Bruce Jenner, slash Caitlyn Jenner, who wears a dress and represents the abnormality you're talking about. What do you do when you get into that ballot, uh, into that voting booth? A good question. And I've talked on your show before about the difference between covenantal government and hierarchical government. Mm -hmm. And I don't have time to go into that again. I think your question is a good one. But but, first of all, I don't know that Bruce Jenner is going to do all those good things that you just suggested. He might, but he might not. Because if he's so screwed up that he doesn't even understand whether he's a man or a woman when he looks in the mirror, how can you trust his judgment on those other things? I think that's a key question. And then you have the question, and maybe a discussion for a different time on another show, normalcy. What do we have the responsibility to do as voters when it comes preserving normalcy for our progeny, for our kids, for our grandkids, for the generations that follow us? I think that's a question we have to ask. The, uh, the, you're, you're right, we do. And, uh, and it's not easily answered, and I don't know if it's even ever going to be answered, but it is something that w- does need to be discussed. Dr. Everett Piper, it's a tough one all the way around, but you handle it with grace as always. Thank you so much, Doctor. We'll talk to you again next week. All right, blessings. Take care. Bye-bye. Dr. Everett Piper on AM 1420, The Answer. We'll get out now for news, and we'll come back in with Bill O. That's right, longtime cable news host and best-selling author Bill O'Reilly, who still does the O'Reilly updates here on AM 1420. The Answer joins me next. Okay, 1036 now. We continue on AM 1420. The Answer, thanks so much for being with us. we got 24 minutes of outstanding awesome left for you. It's going to be a special brand of awesome. I tell you that every day at this time. 
But it's going to be a special brand today because uh, we are joined again by one of the most well-known and respected cable news hosts in the history of cable news. He is a best-selling author, I don't know how many times over. And uh, he, of course, is the voice that you hear each and every day with the O'Reilly update on AM 1420, The Answer. I speak, of course, of Bill O'Reilly. Back with us on, for the second time, I get the privilege of interviewing Bill O'Reilly about a killing book. This time, Killing the Mob, the Fight Against Organized Crime in America. Bill O., welcome back to Cleveland. How are you? Good, Bob. How about you? How are you doing? Doing very well. Thanks so much. I can't tell you how excited I am for this book. First of all, I'm just a big fan of the Killing series, period. But I'm a, I'm kind of a mob bug, if you will. You know, I, I, I that's probably the wrong way to phrase that. But uh, I, I'm a history buff. I'm a mob buff in so far as docudramas, books, and yeah, even the Hollywood versions of mafioso, uh, you know, uh, um, families. I'm just I'm enthralled that they were able to do what they have done over the course of history. Now you have com- condensed it all from the 30s to the 80s, the history of the mafia to what it is today. Why did you decide to chronicle the killing of the mafia, Bill O'Reilly? Because nobody knows about it, Bob. They don't know what happened. They only see what you just referenced. They see the movies and they see, um, you know, sporadic news reports, but they don't give the big picture. So from 1946 to 1962, organized crime in America was the most powerful entity in the country, more powerful than Congress, any corporation. They ran wild. They did exactly what they wanted. They controlled the movie industry, the rock and roll industry, the unions, what you uh, ate in a restaurant. It was an amazing array of power and money, and it went unchecked. So we tell the story, and, um, you know, after reading Killing the Mob, you'll know the real story about these criminals, and they are evil people. It's not like in the movies. You know, you talk about that that heyday when they were the most powerful entity in the country, and I agree with you. Everything you just mentioned, corporations, government, etc. It didn't start there, though. As you as you cover and chronicle in the book, it started in the 30s. Most people think yeah. of Bonnie and Clyde as just these two outlaws on the run, John Dillinger, and so on and so forth. They don't necessarily correlate that with mafia, but you do. Tell us why. Well, it was an evolutionary process. So the Great Depression um, rose um, criminality to a different level because the people hated the banks, they hated the government, and they sympathized with these bank robbers who ran wild all over the Midwest and Upper Midwest and South. And then you saw the movie Bonnie and Clyde, oh, Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway, look how glamorous they are, you know, and all that. In reality, these were low-life thugs who would put a bullet between the eyes of a teenager if that kid got in their way. That's who they were. But the real importance of that era and those bank robbers was that it led the federal government to create the FBI. Before, there was no central crime-fighting agency at the federal level. But because the state and local cops couldn't control, and the Cleveland area was a big nexus point. Ohio is a huge nexus point for these bank robbers. They were all over the place there, particularly Pretty Boy Floyd. And so the FBI rose up under a young lawyer named J. Edgar Hoover and basically assassinated all of these bank robbers, it wasn't come out with your hands up. If they caught you, they killed you, the federal agents. So it's fascinating. And that led into Al Capone in Chicago, and it got more organized than vice and uh, gambling and all of that. 
And then the war came, and then after the war, that was the heyday for organized crime in America. Right, particularly when we talk about the five families of New York. But real quick, go back to Capone. That, well, for a lot of people, maybe, again, until we read Killing the Mob, your new book, um, we think of you know the Capone era as maybe the start of organized crime, where they literally, he literally either through force and brutality or through bribery, you know, owned the courts, owned the police, owned yep. the corporations, owned unions, owned businesses, that, that this was kind of the birth of the mafia as we know the mafia. Is that, is that accurate? Yes, it's accurate because Chicago was a corrupt city and to this day remains a corrupt city. Um, and Al Capone was a Brooklyn guy. He was a New York guy. And he moved in there and, and organized uh, the bootlegging industry and made massive amounts of money by selling alcohol uh, illegally. And then he organized a structure, hitmen and, uh, you know, consiglieres and attorneys, and they, they bought the mayor and they bought the police chief and they bought Congress people. And, and I mean, it was that was basically the structure that Lucky Luciano and then the real big mafia chieftains took. Now, Capone got his, uh, thanks to a guy named Elliot Ness, a treasury uh, agent, who ironically was depicted in the television show The Untouchables. You remember that, Bob? The Untouchables? I do. I do. Yes, sir. Okay. So the producer of The Untouchables was a guy named Desi Arnaz. Remember that name? Sure, from I Love Lucy. Yeah, Lucille Ball's husband. Lucy! Well, the Untouchables depicted Italian organized crime mob figures, and one of the real figures, Sam Giancana, the godfather of Chicago, hated the show and told Arnez to knock it off and put some other ethnicity in there as the bad guys. Whereupon Desi Arnez wrote a wise guy note back to Sam Giancana, said, what do you want me to make them, Jews? That day, Sam Giancana put a contract hit out on Desi Arnaz. That's how powerful organized crime was in the 1950s. Now, nobody knows that. And this is first reported in Killing the Mob. And I we had got never... it. No. Sorry, go ahead. No, I, I had never, it. I had never known this before, and and you know, you you devote a, seg- a segment at the back of the book uh, as to how you research and how you put together yes. a killing book like this. I'm curious because you just said nobody has reported that. How did you find that out? Well, because we looked into Giancana himself, because he was responsible for throwing Illinois to JFK in the 1960 presidential election. Talk about voter fraud. Um, and so we were investigating that and, and his associations in Chicago, and we came across uh, this testimony by the hitman who didn't end up killing Arnez, but Arnez came this close to having a bu- bullet in the back of the head, and how he got saved is, is an interesting part of killing the mob. But anyway, when you investigate certain people, then you uncover more things that you didn't know. So I wrote a book called Killing Pat, and you may remember that. I do. Well, I didn't know that the mafia in Sicily was partially responsible for Patton's victory, the invasion of Sicily from North Africa. I didn't even know it, but we came across it when we were investigating Lucky Luciano. 
And um, that's how you compile things that people don't even know about. The U.S. government in World War II made a deal with the Sicilian Mafia, which ran that island for centuries. You help us defeat the Germans, and we'll let you win to the USA after the war, which is exactly what happened. You know, we're talking with Bill O'Reilly, a legendary cable news host, a best-selling author, and the host of the O'Reilly Update now, among other things that he is working on. When you do, you know, the Killing series, and you're focusing on an individual, whether it be Patton or Lincoln or, or, or Kennedy or Jesus, it's one thing. Was this the hardest thing to do because of the number of people you would be investigating and researching? Because when you talk about the mafia, we're talking about, you know, hundreds, a lot of folks. hundreds yeah. and hundreds of very powerful people. I, I can imagine this would be a, a bit more of a challenge. Well, Killing Jesus was the hardest book to research because there were only two sources of information, Roman and Jewish. Mm-hmm. And we had to go to Rome, we had to go to uh, um, Jerusalem, and then really dig through the archives to find out about Jesus the man. This one was a little bit easier because um, the people involved, and you'll know all their names, Frank Sinatra, on and on, all the rock people, all the movie stars, sure. um, Sonny Liston, Cassius Glaive, Muhammad Ali, they actually left notes, letters, things like that, conversations with people, first-hand conversations, so that we, you just have to know where to look. So Sonny listened through the two fights, all right? And when we were investigating that, we went to Liston's family to find out what the deuce happened. And that's how we got it. And it's just an amazing um process and martin dugard my co-author i think he's the best researcher in the world i mean the guy just comes up with stuff like what i'm going what and that's why killing the mob is such a fun read because you learn so much on every page Do, do you spend more time bill on on in killing the mob on the actual crimes and the research you just talked about, finding out that, listening through those fights, finding out evidence, et cetera, whatever the case might be, or focusing on what the title says, the deconstruction of the mob, how it finally came apart. Well, I'm the storyteller, so I take you from the beginning to the end of the book. And uh, Killing the Mob, the title is, the subtitle is, The Fight Against Organized Crime in America. And we show you that the turning point was Bobby Kennedy taking over as attorney general because Bobby Kennedy went after the mob with a ferocity, whereas J. Edgar Hoover, the FBI chief, would not because the mob had stuff on Hoover. And so Hoover didn't even, he wouldn't even admit a mafia existed. And therefore, there was no federal law enforcement up until 1962, and these guys ran wild. I tell you that story. We weave in and out of what the mob activities are, who's doing what to whom, but the overarch is that they were accumulating massive amounts of power, unobstructed by the federal government, until Bobby Kennedy came in. And then we tell you the story of Kennedy versus Hoffa, what happened to Jimmy Hoffa, how it happened, and all that. So I think anybody who reads Killing the Mob is going to find it fascinating. Bill, um, you, you, when you mentioned Bonnie and Clyde a, a short while ago, you know you talked about the romanticized version of the the lovers who are on the run and and how you know they were viewed as being so glamorous in some ways. And reality is they're killers and thugs. I, about an hour ago, when I was teasing this interview on the air, I talked about the golden age of the mafia, and then I realized, what am I saying? I I like so many others have seen the 
Hollywood version of mafia, and they become the anti-hero. The you know, killers and thugs become the stars of the movies, and you almost find yourself rooting for them against the other mafioso in the other families. And so they become kind of like the anti-hero here. The reality is there's nothing to look at when you look at these mafia figures uh, in a glamorous way, uh, even though Hollywood has kind of made us do that. These are some of the worst, most horrific torturers and killers that we've ever encountered. Every criminal we talk about in Killing the Mob is evil. And what's happened is that the actors that play these people on TV and in the movies are so charismatic. Let me give you a good example. It's a movie called The American Gangster about a guy in Harlem who uh, started the heroin trade, which has destroyed tens of thousands of lives. Well, who was the lead character? Denzel Washington. He's an amazingly charismatic guy. And even though he was doing the worst possible things, and the director, Ridley Scott, showed you some of those terrible things, he just dominated the movie so much that you're right, people were pulling for this evil son of a bitch. Right. And, um, and so it was my. De Niro and, and Pacino and, you know, yeah, and, and all and of the these guys. Right? Yeah, Marlon you, you, Brando. You, Ray Liotta, you, you find yourself going, oh, I hope he gets out of this, you know, mess. Yeah. Well, wait a minute. Yeah. This, guy should be, this guy should be executed. Not getting away with well, things. <laughs> we don't do that in the mob. I mean, we tell you who these guys are, how bad they were, and there aren't any good guys. And, uh, you know, I had a a phone call yesterday on a radio program and some woman said, well, I like their families. I said, yeah, okay, fine. But they'd kill yours. So, therefore, <laughs> you do the math. And, um, you know, it's my job as a journalist slash historian, tell the truth, and boy, we tell it in Killing well, the you, Mob. Well, you tell it from beginning to end, as you said, and let's end with this then. Uh, you know, the very last pages of the book, you point out that the FBI estimates there are currently still 3,000 members of the mafia in America. The mafia sure. isn't dead, despite the title, Killing the Mob. As you say, the fight goes on against organized crime in America. It's just in a bit of a different form now. That's for correct. And... Um, Organized crime controls the narcotics industry, billion-dollar industry in this country, and their favorite president of all time is Joe Biden, because Joe Biden's open border policies have led to more narcotics being smuggled into the United States than ever before in our history. The media does not report that story, but I'll tell you what. Biden will carry every organized crime precinct in this country, and he doesn't even know. Biden doesn't even know what the unintended consequences of his open border policy is, and it's horrific. I don't know if I'm uh, comforted by that or not. He doesn't know. What's worse, that he doesn't know, thus being ignorant, or that he does know, thus being corrupt? I don't know which is worse. Um, I can't make that call. I can tell you that I believe he's a diminished man. I believe that he doesn't understand what's happening in many, many areas of this country. Bill O'Reilly is not diminished. He is thriving. The No Spin News is broadcast weeknights at 8 and 11 on First TV. I told you the O'Reilly update we carry here on AM 1420, The Answer, and he continues to crank out amazing books. The latest is Killing the Mob, the fight against organized crime in America. Cannot wait to see the rest of it. I got a sneak peek. And Bill O'Reilly, thanks so much for talking about it with us. All right, Bob. Stay strong. Thanks for having me in. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you. All right, there you go. Bill O'Reilly laying it out, the latest in his best-selling uh, history series. Um, I'm fascinated. I am. I've been fascinated by the mob and everything they've done. And I do find myself going back and forth between the glamorization thereof and the brutal reality of the mob.
Uh, we got time for a few phone calls on the other side of the final break, which is now on AM 1420 The Answer. All right, 1054, final segment underway. Got time for a couple of calls if you want to get in now at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Uh, if you want to get in, we'll do that. Um, for me, I kind of want to go back to the uh, the beginning of the show, however. I want to finish the way I started. Uh, and by the way, terrific interviews with uh, Dr. Everett Piper and uh, Bill O'Reilly. Just terrific. And I say that not from the host standpoint. I mean from them. Great, yes, great information, very, very good stuff. But I want to go back to before them, and I want to talk about uh, what I started the show with, and that is, of course, the President of the United States being canceled by Facebook, by Twitter, being denied his right to speak and reach out to millions and millions and millions of followers by tech company overlords. This is Donald Trump. Now that he is ex-President Donald Trump or former President Donald Trump, they have issued a new statement on his ban. It has been extended. It is indefinite, but they said they will revisit it sometime later this uh, this summer. I want to say this about that. <clears throat> the idea, first of all, that a President of the United States, much less any citizen, any citizen of any stripes, in this country should be banned for having dissenting viewpoints of those who run the platforms is a complete violation of First Amendment principles. That's number one. But number two, the idea that they expect President Donald Trump to just sit around and wait for his next parole appearance. Do you realize that's how this looks? I promise you, they realize that's how this looks. Donald Trump is in Facebook prison, and every few months, they're giving him a parole hearing to see if he can be sprung and set, set forth back upon uh, society by way of technological wizardry. I would submit to you that if President Trump wants to stand up for free speech in the way that I want him to stand up for free speech, he needs to make a statement very directly, not condemning Facebook, which he did, for their decision yesterday to extend the ban, his ban on uh, on the, the platform. I would suggest that the President of the United States make a public declaration to tell Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey and the owners of uh, and, and CEOs of, the, they are, of course, Facebook and Twitter, respectively, but also of uh, Amazon and Google and any of the others that host those kinds of platforms, to go pound sand. Uh, where it won't feel very comfortable, that he would never come back and create an account on their platforms if they begged him to. Because right now it makes it look as though they are controlling Donald Trump, that he wants so badly to be on there that he's addicted to his social media and they will let him know when he is on parole or when he is uh, his grounding has been lifted. I, I can't stand it. I can't stand the fact that the president is made to look that way. But this is where we are. 
with their with their extension of this ban with no justification whatsoever. Democrats are celebrating Republicans angry. Former President Trump will not be allowed back on Facebook or Instagram for now. Facebook's oversight board said while they're upholding the ban on former President Trump's accounts, the 20 member board told the social media giant they need to decide in the next six months whether their policy is to permanently ban the former president or suspend him for a specific amount of time. Otherwise, they must give him access back. Through his new blog on his website, former President Trump reacted, writing, these corrupt social media companies must pay a political price. The White House says while President Biden will not weigh in on the board's decision, he does believe social media companies need to do more to address misinformation on their platforms. And that is the key, my friends, that very last part. Because they are the arbiters of what is misinformation and what is inf- what is correct information. They are the ones who decide what's accurate and what's not on COVID, on climate change, on guns, on uh, virtually everything, on, on uh, the economy. They will tell you what's right and what's wrong. And if you are Donald Trump and you want to express something that is different from their opinion, you will be deemed a spreader of misinformation and thus banned. The First Amendment is in serious jeopardy, both from speech and press standpoints. That's how I started the show. That's how I'm going to end the show. I'll stand by that, and we'll talk more about it tomorrow on a free-for-all Friday. Stay where you are, because Mike Gallagher is coming up next. Stay here all day, and join me again tomorrow morning. Have a great one. Be free. Bye-bye.